vision of cultural disruption and discontinuity bore a passing resemblance to the older arguments of E. Franklin Frazier, even though in their vision of African-American cultures as creative, dynamic, and sharing African-derived grammatical principles, they saw themselves as working in the tradition established by Melville J. Herskovitz. Unable to form speech communities, they argued, Africans abandoned their languages and devised creoles. Lacking priesthoods and temples, they improvised new approaches to the sacred. As Minson Price stressed, the history of African-American culture was one of dynamism and creativity. And given the conditions of the slave trade and the New World plantations, that dynamism and creativity played out primarily in the Americas. The result was a variety of hybridized regional African-American cultures with an emphasis on the American. The creolization paradigm dominated most work on North America in the 1970s and 1980s. By the 1990s, however, some historians began to discern shortcomings, their criticisms revolving around a simple point. Creolization scholarship left little room for a discussion of Africa as a historical entity, or of Africans as historical agents with actual discoverable pasts. A new, revisionist school of interpretation emerged to challenge the creolization argument. The revisionists differed from the creolization theorists in significant ways. The early proponents of creolization based many of their conclusions on fieldwork undertaken in the Americas, often working backward in time using anthropological and linguistic models. Revisionists emerged out of the field of African history, employing historical and ethnographic methods that centered on Africa and working inductively. Revisionists relied more heavily on archival work. At the heart of their critique was an insistence that the African past was both discoverable and germane to New World history. One of the revisionists' first targets was the notion that the slave trade was a randomizing process, along with a corresponding argument that New World plantations were cultural and linguistic aggregations of Africans of diverse backgrounds. Drawing on existing studies of the slave trade, Revisionists argued that most ships purchased a majority of their captives at only a few locations along the coast. The diversity of slave cargoes, they argued, and consequently of New World plantations, had been overstated. The revisionists' arguments found support with the release of the Transatlantic Slave Trade Database, TSTD-1, on CD-ROM in 1999, with the updated TSTD-2 version published online in 2008. TSTD-1 recorded approximately 75%, 80% in TSTD-2, of all the slave-trading voyages that crossed the Atlantic. The data confirmed that many regions of the Americas received the bulk of their captives from only one or two African regions, and moreover that relationships between specific regions of Africa and America often persisted over decades, if not longer. There was, to be certain, a great deal of variation in the structure of the slave trade over time and space. In addition, because TSTD-1 essentially connected ports with ports, it could not provide definitive answers to questions about the geographic distribution of captives within the New World colonies. One thing, however, was clear. The slave trade was not quite the random or randomizing process that the creolization literature had imagined it to be. It was a highly structured business that was shaped by elaborate, if not always streamlined, networks. Though the new data seemed to imply that African cultures in the Americas were potentially more coherent than the creolization literature imagined, historians on all sides of the debate still acknowledged the need for further empirical research. New work began to use the data to explore not a generalized African culture in the Americas, 
but the histories of specific African ethnic and linguistic groups in specific New World settings. These studies eventually developed a more nuanced framework for thinking about Africans in the Americas, one centered less on demonstrating pure cultural transplantations than on using specific African cultures and histories as a starting point for discussions of Africans in specific New World locations. To some extent, the new emphasis on cultural dynamism and transformation in the revisionist literature represented a convergence with creolization scholarship. Africans created new cultures and identities in the Americas, but out of specific African historical and cultural materials and at a much more gradual pace than Mintz and Price implied. At the same time, creolization scholars began to shift their focus from the Americas to Africa as the primary locus of ethnogenesis. Surveying the field in 2011, historians James Sidbury and Jorge Cañizares Esquera...